Greetings to our loyal WFYL listeners around the world. Welcome back to your Philadelphia live stream, only on the Freedom Station. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in once again, because you still have the right to hear and the right to be heard. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Mike G. As always with me are Philly Chris, Russ the producer, and Liberty Lee. And you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. And you can listen to our program every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on the Freedom Station, WFYL. So let's be heard. I want to remind our listeners that you can participate in the free and open exchange of thoughts and ideas throughout the entire week by visiting MikeGInTheMorning.com. What's it called, Philly Chris? Oh, yeah, I forgot that part of the show. We only do it every single time for three years in a row. That's right. I, was, I forgot. I was still muted. I apologize. What's it called? MikeGInTheMorning.com. How about you, Russ? MikeGInTheMorning.com. Liberty? MikeGInTheMorning.com. Special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Richard S. Roberts Jr. What's it called? Mike G in the morning.com. That is correct, sir. You can check out all the shenanigans that Mike G and Philly Chris are up to throughout the entire week. And with that, you know what time it is. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hit it, Russ. You know what time it is. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. If you're just checking in with us, we've got a very special guest on the program today. We've got Richard S. Roberts, Jr., attorney and other half of the Justice Brothers. He is here bringing us news of his major victory in the Court of Appeals. And in light of the episode where John came on and told us about his comeback story, his upbringing, a lot of people had many questions uh, about the system. And... Attorney Roberts deals with CYS every single day, defending parents in these situations. So I'm sure we're going to have quite a few general questions for you as well, Attorney Roberts. But Rich, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's great to be back. It's been a little while, but thanks for inviting me back on. It's been far too long. Do you have a new job or something over the last year or something that you've been busy? <laughs> no, man, there's a lot of people in the world that need my help. They, you know, they need some good help. They need the best attorney in Pennsylvania. They call me. What can I say? <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Uh, it's almost like you're heading up a completely brand new office over in the Lehigh Valley, helping people in criminal defense cases and CYS since last June, right? <laughs> well, that could be it. Maybe that has a little something to do with it. <laughs> busy man busy man so rich we had this news come in about this victory in the court of appeals within the last couple of weeks we wanted to get you on the program to talk about it so why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what happened all right so this case is out of uh, york county pennsylvania so south central pennsylvania i represented a young mother who was involved with cis for a long period of time um according to the court things were not going her way and they petitioned to involuntarily terminate her parental rights now in pennsylvania there's a termination of parental rights statute, which has eight different subsections. Um, and when the agency feels that no matter what they do, you can't improve your surroundings, you can't improve on your parenting skills, you can't improve on your situation, they will move to involuntary ter involuntarily terminate your parental rights. Now, Rich, is there a bunch of different steps that happen before it comes to that? So how does this all start with CYS? I mean, we might have listeners who don't even know what CYS is. Well, CYS is Children and Youth Services, um, Children and Youth Agency. Some people call it CPS, Child Protective Services. It's the way it's referred to in other states. In, in Pennsylvania, it's the Agency of Children and Youth. It's a county-by-county county agency, so depending on what county you're in, each county has a different one. 
all 67 have their each. Um, and then there's an overwide, there's an overarching statewide agency that really doesn't come into play unless there's a conflict or that CYS is dealing with a foster family. So if a foster family taking care of a foster child placed by the state is involved in some sort of investigation, they don't allow the local agency because typically the local agency has too much communication involvement with the foster family. So the state agency will come in and handle that case. The way a CYS case starts in Pennsylvania is a referral is made. And it's important to understand the distinction because there's two kinds of referrals. There's a CPS, a child protective services referral, and a general protective services referral, which is a GPS. Now, the difference is, is the child protective services law defines child abuse, okay? And a CPS is when they get a referral from either of concerned citizens, a mandated reporter, a doctor, a teacher, whomever, and the allegations involve child abuse as defined under statute. So something like physical abuse, sexual abuse, leaving your child with a registered sex offender, things like that would target what they call a CPS investigation. The reason it's important is because your obligations as a parent are different depending on what kind of investigation there is. When there's a child protective services investigation, the agency has to make contact with the subject child within 24 hours. Um, it is understand under the statute, they have to come to the home, they must interview the child without the presence of the parents, including every other child who's in the home. So anybody who's under the age of 18, the statute commands that. Um, you certainly in those situations have a right to refuse. However, every court that I know of will issue either a search warrant or at that point probably take your children away. So it's important if you're involved in one of these things besides getting a lawyer, understanding what the investigation is first. Because CPS, CPS investigations are veg, very regimented and dictated by statute. There's also a GPS investigation, which is called General Protective Services. So that can include things that are child abuse as defined by a statute, but could be basically anything. So your child shows up to school and hasn't taken a shower in a couple of days, not getting enough food, truancy cases, right? Your child's missing too much school and you haven't provided adequate excuses. In that situation, CUS comes out to see whether or not you can, quote, properly take care of your children, you're providing proper parental care and control. In that situation, the ability of CYS to really dictate what goes on is quite limited because there's not statutory language commanding their ability to be able to do really mo much of anything in those situations. And it's important to understand the difference because the way you can behave and the way I will behave and educate you and advise you on how to proceed with this investigation differs depending on what investigation it is. So in a case involving this, it was a general protective services investigation um, the child was removed from the home following the arrest of the mother. Um, at that point, they were placed in foster care. She was incarcerated for a period of time. She had gotten out and been dealing with COAS for, I don't know, almost a year by the time she called me um, and I got involved. So when COAS gets involved with a child, you can either have voluntary compliance or involuntary compliance. So COAS typically comes with what they call a family service plan. Like here are the issues that you struggle with. Here's what we want you to do. Now, one thing that every individual in the state has to understand is CYS, except for very limited circumstances that we discussed in a child protective service investigation, has no inherent authority to make you do anything, right? Now, when they come to your house, they certainly don't act like that. They're certainly not nice. They're kind of like the police when they show up. But they, they, they have no inherent authority to make you do anything, nothing. You have no obligation to listen to them, no obligation to talk to them, no obligation to do anything, right? And that's one of the things when I approach a case is I tell them right away, like this is a voluntary situation. At any point, 
you can tell them to go pound sand. I'm not doing it. Now, depending on the facts of the case, that may or may not be advisable, depending on what the allegations are and what evidence they have for it, because if you refuse to comply, they can make you do it, but it has to go through a judge. It has to be judicially mandated. So what they will do is file what they call a dependency petition. A dependency petition, generally speaking, they have to plead and prove that the child or children lack proper parental care and control. So you are doing something or not doing something with affects their health, safety, welfare, morals, things like that. For example, if you're not let, making your child go to school, missed 100 days of school, hasn't been sick for 100 days, that could be a lack of proper parental care and control. In that situation, you have a right to a you have a right to an attorney, a right to a hearing, and the agency has to prove that by clear and convincing evidence, which isn't quite beyond a reasonable doubt. But the way the law defines it is evidence that's so weighty that the judge doesn't have hesitation making his or her decision as to whether or not. So in that situation, if they can prove or the judge finds that there's a lack of proper parental care and control, the child or children is declared dependent, and at that point. The agency takes always takes legal custody of the child and will sometimes take physical custody of the child, which means the child is forcibly removed from your home. Mm-hmm. If that occurs, you have the permanency review process, which is basically at the end of the dependency proceeding, if they have found the child dependent, the court will say, okay, here are the issues I find that the parent or parent struggles with. Is it substance abuse? Is it mental health counseling? Whatever it is. And it will order you, I want to do these things to show me that you can provide proper parental care control for the child. And the deficiencies I see, I want you to resolve those deficiencies through this. So I set up a permanency review. You go back to court every three to six months. The court holds a review. They talk to the child. What are you doing? What are you not doing? And the idea is that through that period of time, you will improve on the issues that was identified. You fix the problems that you have. At the end of the day, if the kids were removed from home or returned, if not, the case is eventually closed. If, however, during that process, the court believes rightly or wrongly, or the agency believes rightly or wrongly, mostly wrongly, that the, the parent hasn't progressed sufficiently or as quickly as they wanted to or anything like that, they can petition the court to involuntarily terminate your parental rights, which legally speaking means if that petition is granted, you are legally no longer the parent of that child. You have no rights in their education, their upbringing. You can't make decisions where they go to school, where they don't go to school, who they go with. You're not even able to told if they're adopted, who they're adopted to. You're legally as if that child is no longer yours. There's no financial obligation, no ethical obligations, no nothing. So it's as the Supreme Court has described it, it is the death sentence for parents. So in in this particular case, they petitioned for termination of parental rights and the judge granted the petition and terminated my client's parental rights. But what you have to understand is, is because the the result of a termination is so severe that you are legally no longer the parent. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania has said there's an Adoption Act which mandates specific procedures that must be followed and they have to be strictly complied with because you have a due process right. You have a constitutional right to raise your children as you see fit. That is a fundamental right under both the Pennsylvania and United States Constitution. So in one of the, in this case, which is most significant, when you file a termination petition, the agency must provide the legal grounds that they're seeking termination and they have to specifically write what are, what is the factual basis. So what has the parent done? What have they not done? What were the issues that brought them involved? What were the issues that we wanted to see resolved? How are they still continuing? In this particular petition, didn't have a single factual averment anywhere in it. So I remember when I was given the petition and it was sent to me via email and they served my client, I emailed immediately to solicitor back and said, 
is this, it, where's the rest of it? Because I've been doing this for a period of time and I've been involved in a few termination proceedings, more than a few at this point. And they're typically like 80, 90 pages because they say a mother in this number of years became involved. You know, the baby was born with drugs in her system, whatever. We went to court, we're declared dependent. We gave them these 10 things. They, you know, failed that outpatient. They dropped that inpatient. They went for an evaluation. They were unsuccessfully discharged. And it goes through step by step every court hearing, what they've done, what they didn't do, what was good, what was bad, what was ugly. This had nothing. And they said no. So I, I file a motion with the trial court and say, hey, um, you don't have jurisdiction because failure to comply with the Adoption Act or strict compliance is a jurisdictional issue. You have no jurisdiction to hear this. It doesn't comply with the Adoption Act. You need to dismiss the petition. And about two hours after I filed the motion to dismiss, it was denied by the court. There's no response from the agency. It was literally denied by the court. I think I hit send. Two hours. Like, huh? <laughs> it's accepted. Order denying petition. I went, okay. Well, let's see. They put a lot of thought in that. I read it. So we end up going to termination. There were some other issues that arrived. Um, was there, was there they, any reason why the denial took place? Did they, no, was there anything the mentioned in the order or was it just denied? No, because online denied. order. Right. Mother's yeah. petition to dismiss the involuntary termination of parental rights business is denied. Have a nice it's day. Denied. Ooh, yes, so it's denied. Just, just denied. It, it was just, it was <laughs> denied. So interestingly, it's the, the, yeah, it was the just interestingly. So, right. So we, we appeal the decision and, and Mike, Mike knows too, if you appeal a decision, the first thing is you put a notice of appeal, you tell the judge, here's all the things you did wrong, right? Here's why I think you're wrong. Here's why it should be overturned. So the trial judge for the benefit of the appellate court has to write an opinion as to why what I'm complaining about, he did everything right. So of course, cause he only gave me the one sentence order. I'm like, I'm very curious how he defends this. So he goes through it and he says, well, while the agency's factual averments could have been clearer, it's close enough. And I went, okay. The problem with the factual averments is all the agency did was rewrite the legal standard for termination as a factual vermin. Said mother. No, Richard. The, pro the problem of, with the factual vermin is that there were not any. That was the problem. There was not any. <laughs> so he tried to justify it. And and I think what I, I remember in my brief, I write, well, the problem with the judge's perception here is, is mother did this or mother did that. And I was like, a factual vermin, it doesn't use a disjunctive, right? You did something. You didn't do this or you did that. You may have done this and you did that, but you can't or something in a factual vermin because all they did was he tried to couch the legal conclusions of trial judge, but they didn't put anything. So that was my main focus during the termination petition uh, hearing. One thing that the agency always tries to do, and it's very important for your attorney to notice this, is they will come in and they will say, hey, uh, I want to incorporate the record from the dependency petition. So testimony, orders, well, that's all hearsay. And and I understand that it's pretty related. The judge is usually the same. The attorneys are usually the same. They know the issues, but it's a separate proceeding. It's in a different court. Dependency cases occur in juvenile court, termination records in orphans court. And you have to make the agency prove their case. If they're going to put you and try to have your client terminate his or her parental rights, you're proving your case. You're not getting any help. Yeah, that's okay. That's in. And in this case, it was important because I had not been the attorney the whole time. I was involved for one permanency review hearing before they terminated. I was like, I don't know what questions were asked, what was asked, what were the orders. So I objected. Judge like, no, no, we do that all the time. I go, your honor. And then so in his 
1925A opinion, there's a bench book for dependencies. The judge cited to the bench book as the reason he incorporated it. And the agency got about 15 questions by the appellate court about what authority does the legal bench book have? I didn't realize that was a source of law. So, you know. Can you explain what a bench book is for? So, for so the- a bench book is just a basic, like, 30,000 foot overview for a judge about here's the general way things should go, here's a general view of the law, and just some things to look out for. It's to help judges who are not, you know, experts in this particular area of law to, to trudge through it, to be honest with you. The unfortunate not, thing is- It is not the court, law, though. Right, it's not the law. It's just like, uh-huh. hey, this is how we do things. They go, in the bench book, it says typically the the prior juvenile dependency matter is incorporated therein. And I go, okay, well, that's typical. And in cases that I cited to the court was said, well, yeah, typically there's, there's an agreement, right? Both sides just say, yeah, we don't have to go through this. You can incorporate that, right? There was no agreement. Right. They sent me a stipulation of facts and I didn't want to sign the stipulation of facts. Said you got to prove your case. And he was like at the oral argument, Superior Court, he's like, well, we sent counsel a stipulate, a proposed stipulation of facts and he refused to sign it. And the judges went, well, he, does he have to sign it? I don't understand. If he doesn't <laughs> sign it, you just have to put on your facts. Why? Why is he look bad? Because he refuses to make you do your job. I don't get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't get why that's a problem. So it, so we ended up being unsuccessful on the termination of parental rights. So we go to appeal it, and this is a judge. And I, my first issue is you didn't put any factual basis. You violated the Adoption Act, and therefore the court didn't have jurisdiction. You should have dismissed the petition. I also do the incorporation, and I challenge the clear and convincing evidence for the termination itself on the merits. So we go to oral argument, and I have to be honest, at oral argument, they didn't seem like the three judges really wanted to hear about that argument, which I generally thought was the easiest one to make, and they didn't really want to talk about it. We get it. I got a couple of questions. They really focused on the incorporation of just bringing everything in wholesale, not listening to my objections, hearsay or otherwise. But, you know, we go through it. I, I didn't think it went well, which I'm sure anybody who's done oral argument in appellate court would agree. Any attorney goes, I think I got killed. Of course, our, our wonderful paralegal is there, Mike. I was like, you did great. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> so we get through it. And then a month later, the decision comes out. It's about nine pages and said, hey, you didn't comply with the Adoption Act. You failed to set a factual basis whatsoever. And the, the denial, it should have been dismissed. The court did not have jurisdiction to hear this termination case. They vacated the decree, terminated my client's parental rights and remanded it back to court. So at this point, it was it was a second chance for it was the right decision. Hopefully we can force York County, both the agency and the court to do it right this time. They kind of have shot themselves in the foot at this point because the, the, the court opinion doesn't address the merits. Like were the facts sufficient to terminate my client's parental rights? It was as you know, people put derisively, it was like a technicality win. However, following my appeal, I put in a motion to maintain the status quo. So allow my client to continue visiting your child and participate in services. I thought I put in the thing. I think this is a valid issue. I think I'm more likely than not to win on this issue. Here's why. Once again, the court in two and a half hours denied that motion. So now my client has not been able to see her daughter for almost a year at this point, has not seen Mm. her little three-year-old girl for almost a year unlawfully and unconstitutionally. And now they're kind of in a situation. We have a hearing coming up in a couple of weeks where I petitioned to resume visitation and services. And I am very curious to see how the agency is going to position because I'm sure there's going to be some 
uh, arguments or issues with the agency that the child's well bonded in, in her new foster home, not without her mother, who I believe she needs. And, you know, this is a problem. And I will point at him at, at point blank and go, well, if that's the case, the only people you have to blame is yourself because you need to follow the law. The law is pretty clear. Right. You put the factual basis in, then I don't have that. Then we're just arguing about whether or not your evidence is the only people you have to blame is yourself. Right. And unfortunately, this agency and a lot of agencies don't ever think that they've done anything wrong. And the most frustrating thing that I deal with dealing with CYS cases is caseworkers think they're doing God's work. And the worst thing that any of my clients do is say no. Yeah. Now, I want to back things up a little bit because you talked about the initial investigation and you said that if a kid shows up and it seems he hasn't taken a shower in a few days. Um, my first question is, if we show up to the radio station and Russ hasn't taken a shower in a few days, is there anybody we can petition to intervene in that situation? Um, there, there may be a crisis mental health team. You call, like, possible, possible 302. Uh, that's right. That's my department. What am I thinking? There you go. What am I thinking? There you go, Mike. I believe you're more familiar with that area of the law than I am. Yeah, you can petition. In all seriousness, though, what kinds of things can kick off these investigations? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be surprised by some of the things that have triggered these investigations where the listeners would say, really, that's it? That sort of thing. I think everybody understands that if somebody beats their kid with a baseball bat, it's going to start an investigation of some kind. But I'm sure there are a lot of lower level type things. Are there any that come to mind, uh, types of situations you've seen that have started these investigations? Yeah, one that's unfortunately all too common is, is child goes to the hospital, um, sick, injured, um, and doctor says, hey, we want to do this. And the parent says, you know, I don't know if I think that's appropriate. I want to do something else. That can trigger a CPS investigation for failing to listen to the doctor's advice or failing to do something a doctor recommends, seemingly taking away from parents the ability to make medical decisions. And it's nothing. And you would think, well, that doesn't happen. It's nothing so like serious as she's got 105 fever. I don't want to give her Tylenol. It's something right. so serious like, well, I, I think she needs to go to this facility and have this done to her. I don't know. I think I want a second opinion. Why do you need a second opinion? I don't think you're right. That triggers it. And they will call CPS and CPS can come in, say you're not getting appropriate medical treatment. And all of a sudden, fundamental right to help make medical decisions for your child ripped away from you. That's crazy. Another one is, you know, a neighbor will see the child crying and you're yelling and screaming. And they'll call like, you know, this, this mother's yelling at her kid. And that happens. And I had one recently where a 12-year-old was complaining that her mother was calling her names. And I remember specifically that the I talked to the caseworker, the, the client hires me, and she said she can't use any you know derogatory terms to refer to the child. And I go, okay, well, I hate to be a lawyer, but you have to define derogatory. Right. And she's like, well, you can't, you can't call her an idiot. And I go, all right, well, what if the child's like running in the street and you call her an idiot? I mean, she, she's being an idiot. Is that, is that a problem? And then the lady's like, well, I think you're being a little dramatic. I'm like, and who decides what's a derogatory term? He's like, the child. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. You see where this is the going? The child gets to decide. All right. wow. yeah, so, Unless you so, refer to me as Royal Highness, you're being yeah. derogatory. Welcome to 2023. And, and then the CYS worker in this situation goes, I think you're being difficult. And I go, I, I don't mean to be frank, but I think you're being an idiot. Like, this is, <laughs> like, <laughs> who makes, who lets a 12 year old make any decisions on their own whatsoever? I'm like, that right. seems insane to me. But it, I mean, it is the, insane. 
it, it's cool. insane. Like, I mean, Credit you gotta have some has the, uh, the environment figured out. So, you know, <laughs> right. I go, I don't, she's like a child. I'm like the child. When, when does that happen? You but, said they were yelling at the just, kid and the kid was crying. Like what if the kid was trying to make toast in the bathtub or something? I think <laughs> that you want, <laughs> you don't want to yell right. at them over that. Right. You know, Teach them a lesson. <laughs> right. And I get it. And I think it's a lot of, I don't know, just being an older individual, the way my parents raised me, we, I would have been taken away from my dad in about 10 seconds. But, and, and, and don't get me wrong. You turned I out okay. Abuse, but and you turned out okay. Is, what? Yeah, it turned out just fine. I think okay. I'm okay. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think the issue is, and I've had this argument with children and youth all the time, consistently, just because you would handle a situation differently from my client doesn't mean what my client is doing is wrong. And that is right. the bottom line. And as soon as you say that to them, they're like, I am not wrong. I'm like, you're completely wrong. You're just completely wrong. My client is making a, a, a decision that they have a right to make as a parent, period. Just Where's because coming you from sit right? down and have a 25-minute discussion about why touching the stove when it's on is bad, and my client just grabs his arm and pulls him away, doesn't make what he did wrong and what you do the 25-minute about why you shouldn't touch something hot and show on <laughs> Google about the blisters you'll get and the permanent disfigurement. You don't have to do that. Don't be an idiot. Don't touch the stove. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Chris, were you asking a question? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering like where this, you know, where's this is coming from? Cause you know, when I grew up, everything you're talking about was kind of normal parenting, but it seems like now it's just so far off the rails. Is it the younger generation you're seeing this with? Like these people working at these agencies, like how are they even having that mindset? I, I, I'm just having trouble even understanding how they could, talk to you that way or, or, you know, view it that way. Where's it, where's it stemming from? Is it the schooling or the younger generation and, and I'll, I'll get in trouble. I I think therapists have a very weird view on what's good and bad for children. And that is seeped Mm. into the children and youth organization about appropriate discipline methods and things like that. And I think we've come a long way from using a a stick to beat your kid outside, which I don't think is appropriate, but I mean, there's a, there's a long way from that. And then what some of those therapists advocate for. And I think that the therapists who treat children and, and become way overprotective do a lot of damage to these kids. And I think they ruin families, frankly, because I, I don't think they let kids be kids. And I don't think they let parents be parents. And I think that when you have to have a discussion and explain everything to a 12 year old about why something's being done um, is a problem, frankly. And when my clients come in and I go, well, they have to explain to them why they're in trouble. No, no, listen, they're 10, they're in trouble. You don't do that. Why? Because I told you to. That's the end of the discussion. I don't understand why it's a problem. Yeah, but there's a lot of there's a lot of CYS workers who believe that you have to have a conversation, understanding with the child and understand this. And again, it's just, it's bothersome to me, just the way these people come off. And then the attitude that a lot of them have, most of them have that when you question them, it's like you've questioned Jesus Christ himself. And sure. I go, yeah, they're in charge or the yeah. authority. I wonder how many of them yeah, are actually parents. It'd be interesting. I, you know, I, I don't know if you can ask them. Asked that, I wonder how many, yeah. I have asked that to, to therapists and CYS workers, and you'd be surprised at how much of them are. And, you know, judges sometimes are okay with that. A lot of judges kind of push it off. I did have an interesting thing in this um, case that we won on appeal. So I said at some point during the, I was making an objection 
And I said something. She's like, she's just a caseworker. And the solicitor for CYS stands up in a huff. He's like, I object <laughs> to Attorney Roberts' characterization as, quote, just a caseworker. These are professional judges. Like, I understand Attorney Roberts. That is wildly inappropriate to say just a caseworker in that demeaning tone. She's been doing this for a lot of years. And, and what is – you have a degree, don't you? She says, yes, I have a bachelor's degree. And he goes, yeah, yeah, what's your bachelor's degree? And he goes, criminal justice. And I go, well, that qualifies her to deal with what children are appropriate. He's <laughs> everything you need to know. <laughs> and the judge was like, that's enough out of you. And I go, all right, I think I just made my point. Like, okay. Because, you know, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of them that try to do their job the best they can. But I think once, even if they come in with the best of intentions, there's a lot of people that, that corrupt the industry and then have this this mindset that when they walk into a situation, their jobs are to their jobs are and their misses to keep families together and help families. And I find it all too often, at least in the cases that I, I deal with, that they work too hard to rip these families apart and drive wedges between them and stick a parent against a child. Or if there's a acrimonious or about in the middle of a divorce, they'll have parents against each other, you know, take one side against the other. And it drives me insane. I'm like, this is not really helping the children, nor is it responding to your mission. So, you know, your idea is find the parents that really do need help and help them. And I've said more than once, I'm positive they walk into terrible situations where there's an infant, there's two you know, substance abuse people, there's needles and stuff, and the baby's crawling around. And I understand that. I do. I get it. I get it. And you see that. And I've never had one of those clients hire me, right? I've never had one said, yeah, I left my two-year-old crawling around in the bathroom, and that's where me and my wife go and do you know, our drugs and I'm, my bad, you know, I've never had that. But the issue is, is that when you come to a client like mine, who's a good family, who may have be going through a tough spot, they're not them. You're not treating my clients like you treat those individuals, because here's a situation where the family's okay, going through a trouble spot possibly, or maybe you've done nothing wrong at all. And you're not going to treat them that way. Bottom line. You know, you were saying that you have to have this conversation with them that just because you wouldn't have done it that way, doesn't mean they've done anything wrong. And do they want there to be some kind of technical manual where each and every decision must be made in a very specific way that's already been predetermined by whom? By them? By the government? I think it's they read too many books. And this is the way the mm. book says it's appropriate way to deal with this particular situation. At which, which point, book, though? Feel like which book though? Yeah. Yeah. And there's different ways. And I go, well, we read it in this, this, this whatever therapy book. And I go, Great. Have you ever raised a child? No, I don't have any kids. Then I'm not talking to you anymore. Go away. Because I have no, I have no use for you. I have no use for you. I have none, no use for you. None whatsoever. Well, I read in a book that kids who are told that they're, that they're dumb will grow up to be dumb. And I go, all right, well, good for you. But that's not my reality. You know, it's the same people they had. Um, what was that lady? My wife and I were talking about the other day. They had the tiger mom was really tough on their kids and they had a bunch of people came out that it was great. A bunch of people said it was child abuse. And then I find out years later, both children go to MIT. I'm like, listen, um, if both your kids are at MIT and you're complaining that it was child abuse, listen, you can abuse those kids. Cause you know, you don't get any legacy admissions at MIT. You just, smart, right? <laughs> right. I go, I go, listen, they're both in MIT. I think she did something right. So whoever said she was doing something wrong, I think you should look in the mirror a little bit. It's so, definitely not I mean, Harvard. Yeah, it's not Harvard, you know, where you can get in. But what I mean is, is, is that the issue you have is the government, and I agree because CYS is the agency and their children, youth, and they're founded by the county, seem to have an idea when they get involved that you have to do these things and raise your children the way I tell you to do it, right? And 
I have to tell you to do it because whatever you're doing before was wrong and it didn't work. And that's why I'm here. And the problem is, is I, I work every day with my clients to fight that issue because I think that parents have the absolute right to raise their kids as they see fit within the bounds of the law. There's certain things you absolutely can't do. But, you know, when I get a client hired and these people are overstepping, which is happens when the people call me, I make it a point to stop it. And I've been called difficult. I've been called rude. I've been called you just sending yourself to be legation. I'm like, no, I'm here to protect my client's right to raise their kids as they see fit and not have your influence whatsoever because you have no right to do so. You know, that's another interesting point about CYS litigation. When I came to court with you on that one particular case, I got the sense that the other attorneys who are involved with these sorts of cases on a regular basis are not built the way, let's say, criminal defense attorneys are. <laughs> and that it seems that there's a good deal of go along to get along, uh, more of a collaborative type thing, even if it's not in the best interest of your client, where you and I in the criminal defense context, we're used to, hey, everything's on the line. Our client's going to jail for a really long time if we don't win this thing. And so we go out there and we fight. And having somebody with your attitude and your skill set step into that world seems like it's extremely overwhelming for the opposition. And I don't know if maybe you're, you're you, I don't know you as a shy guy who's <laughs> not going <laughs> to be willing to say that. So, but is that the impression that you've gotten over the years in litigating CYS issues? I have from caseworkers, not so much anymore because I know a lot of them and they see me coming, but at first they are quite of put off. And what I found is, is there's a lot of go along to get along um, with attorneys that I see that do this, I guess, more than me. Um, because it's, it's a situation where the, the parents are scared and like, listen, just do what they tell you to do and get them out of your life. And I'm like, well, hold on. Why we, why do we have them in our life to begin with? Why are we waiting till the end? I remember picking up a case was hired after, after the, the child was declared dependent. Right. And I'm getting the facts of the case and I get the file from the prior attorney and I'm looking at it going, I don't think these children were dependent, you know? So I show up to court and I see the, the attorney was there before as a court appointed attorney. And I go, I go, well, here are the facts. Here's a couple of cases. The children shouldn't have been declared dependent. I'm like, what happened here? It's like, oh, we agreed to dependency. And I go, well, why did you do that? It was like, well, cause CYS says they weren't going to remove the kids from the home. And I go, well, what? And it, it shocked me. Cause I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now they're under the thumb of CYS via a court order and they have to listen to certain things they do. And now I'm fighting from behind the eight ball. So the idea is, is that go along to get along allows them into your, into your life. And I think the most important thing to do in all of these cases is stop them before the door is even open, both figuratively and literally in some aspects, right? Because what happens is, is they're in, then they're in. And then it's like, they're never going to leave. It's like an infestation. And there's always one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. And then when I get involved in these cases, my first thing is go to the court order. Here are the things you had to do. Boom, 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 boom. We're done. What are we still doing here? Well, we found these. Well, that's not here. What are you talking about? Where's that come from? You know, do you have a court order to force them to do that? We want them to do that. Well, I want you to go away. Are you going away? No, we're not going away without a court order. I go, ah, right, look at that. We're on the same page. But it is a bit overwhelming. And the solicitors are the same way because when I sit down and they're like, all right, we're going for a dependency. What are we going to do? I'm like, ready for a hearing. Like, hearing? Go, yep. Oh, well, I don't have witnesses here. I'm like, well, guess that makes the judge's job easy. I don't think you have any evidence then, right? Yeah, I'm going to need a <laughs> You know, that makes my job easy. I'm, I'm paid already, so I'm happy. I don't have to do any work. And the judge is like, you have any evidence? No, I guess that means you didn't meet your burden. Everybody goes home. 
and it's it's just it's a it's a very tough situation to be in and i find that my straightforward aggressive attitude about everything plays well in these situations especially to people that you know don't see it all the time as mike said in the criminal defense world you come at a prosecutor like that they're like yep i got five more of you waiting in the wings you're all doing the same thing so it's not as awful, <laughs> right it's not as awkward for them they're like wait what i gotta work yes you know objection yeah. hearsay they're like, what? Objection? Did you do this for a living? Like, okay. I had a, I had a attorney go, well, why is it sustained? And I'm like, your witness can't testify to what somebody else told them. He's like, but it's another caseworker. And the judge goes, I don't care if it was Jesus himself. He can't say, you have to get Jesus on a stand. You can't do that. Like, what is this your first? It was funny. And that was a Berks County case. And the judge at the end was like, they're not even close. You're gone. (laughs) You know, because you you have to, you know, getting them involved is is a situation that can sometimes last years. And they, you know, they once they're in, they're in and it's trouble to get them out. If you let's talk a little bit about when they uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good, Mike. Sorry, I was done. Uh, So I was just going to say when they first show up uh, during that initial investigation, you briefly mentioned you're going to want an attorney, but X, Y, and Z. I think it's important to stress uh, how crucial it is to have not only an attorney, but an attorney who's willing to fight and knows what they're doing in those situations, because uh, hopefully that's the first time the client is ever dealing with that situation. Hopefully you don't get like right, a, a right. punch card for CYS or something like that. Yeah, that's usually a problem. That's usually yeah. a problem. Uh, but they're not going to know because uh, you said that it's really nuanced the, the way you want to respond under those circumstances. And you would only know that because you've done tons and tons of these things. Correct. And you know all the different possibilities. And somebody who's just, first of all, being caught off guard, like, likely, uh, I don't think yeah, people sit there waiting for Yeah, and I don't think people are sitting around waiting for them to show up, right? So you're, you're caught off guard. You've never done this in your entire life. I mean, you're going to want counsel there, aren't you? Absolutely. And if you're caught off guard with CYS, I think the important thing to do is, as I say with police, don't be rude, be cordial. Okay. You know, they're going to ask, they have to see the child who's the subject of the investigation. Um, You certainly can refuse that. I have never advised my client ever to refuse that. Can walk them out on the porch. You don't have to let them in the house. Here's the child, safe, sound, you're good to go. I'm calling an attorney. Leave me your business card. I'll have my attorney reach out to you tomorrow or later today. And the first thing you need to do is hire an attorney like myself to represent you. And my first thing is to call the caseworker and go, what's going on? Well, we're investigating. I I know you showed up my client's house. What are you investigating? What are the allegations? What did you hear? You know, now you can never find out who you heard it from because a person who makes a child abuse, either general or a child abuse, is protected by statute. But you're allowed to know the details of the allegation, right? So you can't say, you can't say, you know, Jimmy's teacher, second grade gym teacher told us, right? It'll be the allegation is the child's come to school for the last three days, smells terrible, doesn't seem to take a shower. Okay. What do you want? Right? What do you want? Well, I want to talk to the kid. You saw the kid. The kid's fine. Well, I want to talk to mom. Well, what do you want? And it's the same principle that I would go through in a criminal case. I want to get as much. My goal is to get as much information prior to you agreeing to or talking to or making any statements whatsoever because you have to understand at that point we and you are at a disadvantage they know everything you know nothing they want you to talk without knowing what the situation is and it could be we're coming to investigate this but you say a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden like oh well that's interesting let me investigate that as well 
Right. That's what I was thinking, because it's a lot like the criminal context where people talk themselves into trouble. That's your famous right. saying is I, I never had a client talk themselves out of trouble. I've had quite a few right. talk themselves into trouble. If, if CYS shows up and they haven't told you the basis of the allegations or anything and you think it's about something else, you know, they're showing up to talk to you about the allegation is he hasn't taken in the shower in a few days and you go to somewhere else in your mind and you say oh listen those bruises on the back of his leg that's from when we went sledding last week well right. <laughs> tell me more sudden, about those yeah. bruises please Let tell me, me more about up, those right? bruises sledding it hasn't last week where are we sledding it's, it was 70 degrees last week we had that you know the middle of winter heat spell like what are we doing so you know that's that's a situation you're going to talk yourself right into trouble right and that's that's a problem people to unreasonable standards been. sometimes i'm sorry they hold people to unreasonable standards. Jeremy made a good comment over here. He says, you can try to do the best you can for your kids. The government expects imperfect people to do everything perfectly or the government gun points your way. Uh, do you find that there are unreasonable expectations sometimes? I do. I don't think they take, because there's parents obviously who struggle, substance abuse among them. And I think that their unrealistic expectation on how difficult that is hurts a lot of parents. Right. Mental health struggles are the same thing. If parents has untreated mental health issues, sometimes since they were children, um, they go through it. Sometimes people have, you know, learning disabilities and things like that. Um, and, you know, those things would be held against you. I have a case recently where I got in a fight in the middle of court where I came into the case late. And the one of the requests is they were concerned that my client didn't have the intellectual ability to be a parent. Right. So mm. one of the reasons they wanted to is she had to graduate high school. Made a big stink about it. Not as much as I should have because, you know, I'm a firm believer you should graduate high school. So I was like, I don't know if that's really appropriate. I don't know if you need to graduate high school. What do you say if she doesn't graduate, you can take her children away. That seems a bit ridiculous. You know, I know tons of people that graduate high school, make more money than I do. Very successful family. I mean, I don't know if that's the be all and end all. But I was like, I understand the value of education. I've talked to my client about it. We're going to agree to that. And then the caseworker stood up. There's another thing that we would like to do here. And I said, and they said, okay. And they said, we want her to take an IQ test. I said, I'm sorry. What was that request? I said, I want to take an IQ test. I'm like, for what? To see her intellectual disability. I said, here's what we're going to do. She takes an IQ test. I will take an IQ test. All you caseworkers will take an IQ test. And I guarantee my IQ is better than all of you caseworkers. And none of you can tell any of my clients what to do ever again, unless you have a higher IQ than me. Do you agree to that? Wait, what? I'm like, I will agree to have my client do that. That is my term. She's like, I don't think they're going to agree to it. I was like, then I guess there's no IQ test. <laughs> I go, I go, if you're going to try to try to embarrass my client here, I'm going to embarrass every single caseworker in the entire agency. We're not pulling that. I think graduating high school is a ridiculous requirement. I think it's an illegal requirement and inappropriate. However, however, my client's family is pushing her to graduate. I think she needs a little help to get a kick in the rear end. So I'm begrudgingly agreeing, agreeing to this against my better judgment as a lawyer. But if I hear an IQ test again, we're going to have a problem. But it's stuff like that that they throw in there. I'm like, who do these people think you are? Like, okay, fine. We could do that. We'll put everybody up to it. Let's see who's winning here. You think you're winning? You think you're winning? Miss, you know, you know, you already got cosmetology degree. What are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to fund the whole event, Rich, if they accept your challenge. As a matter of fact, I might start a video <laughs> campaign calling them a bunch of chickens and calling them out if they don't take the IQ test. And they do the challenge. The and, and when we get the results, we'll reveal them live on the air. 
in front of an uh, in front of an audience, and Rory Povich is going to show up and open up the envelope. What do you think? <laughs> you are not the caseworker. No, right, right. <laughs> you, are you are not, not the <laughs> smartest one in the room. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's just. It's. It's issues like that that drive me insane. And the and the issue that you run into, and you said it yourself, Mike, when you're with me at one of these hearings, is there's too much to go along, get along. You're like, yeah, that sounds good. And then it comes back, her IQ is, what, 70? And you're like, well, you're too dumb to have a child. What, what do you mean? What does that even mean? Like, that drives me insane. I'm like, you're not going to do that because the only reason they wanted to do that, and I'm a firm believer in this, they wanted to embarrass her. They wanted to embarrass her. And I'm like, we're not doing We're not having that. I'm like, and they go, well, I don't know if that was an appropriate comment. I'm like, well, don't have a ridiculous request. But if you guys are confident, I leave my option open. We can all take IQ tests. I'll pull one up. We'll go downstairs right now. You guys yeah, want to do that? You're just being shows ridiculous. you how ridiculous the okay. system is. Crazy. You know, and then the other thing, the other thing that's important when it comes to having an attorney in this in these situations, right? And I think it's it's vitally important. Something that I tell all of my clients. So one of the things that caseworkers will complain to judges about, especially if I get involved after a dependency has been granted, right? Is the parents are difficult. They ask too many questions. They come off like a jerk. So I say to my clients, and this is why it's vitally important for you to have an attorney, an attorney who's aggressive and comes at people is this. Let me be the jerk, right? I want you to be polite, please, thank you, all of that. So when it comes down to it, we go to court, they're like, they're being difficult. And the judge goes, well, who's being difficult? Well, they're a lawyer. And I, I look at the judge and go, true, that's that's a facts, facts, I'm trying. Well, how are the parents? Well, they're really nice. They answer the phone. They're very polite. So the lawyer's being a jerk? Yes, Your Honor, I have been. He's like, well, that is Attorney Roberts. He's been here a few times. I, If he was nice to you guys, I'd be like, uh-oh, he's having a bad day. He's got a diagnosis. That's not going so well. So it, 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 it not only allows me to represent you and make sure your rights are protected, but it saves you those, those soft those soft things that they'll go into a judge's decision that you're just being difficult. Well, no, they're not. I'm being difficult, right? It's not my clients. My clients would love to do that, but I told them they're not allowed to. What do you want me to do? Sorry. You know, it's one of those things, right? And Mike says that when you go to talk to police, like, listen, I'd love to talk to you, Mr. Officer, about what happened, but Mike G would kill me if he found out I talked to you. So yell at him. (laughs) You know, and that's That's my job. I'll wear it. Right. It's my job. What do you want me to do? I'm I'm an attorney. No, we're not doing that. I mean, and it, it, it helps because you need someone, especially with a CUS investigation, is someone who's aggressive and forceful and will tell people no and not end up being scared of them because the threat i will take your child yes if you don't do this i will take the child from your client's house really how are you going to do that well we're going to go to court you can't just walk in the front door that's not how it works <laughs> we're gonna go to court? yeah we'll go to court you know what i'll have to take this to court i'm like you do realize what i do for a living right <laughs> realize that i literally get paid decently well to do that every single day right <laughs> the briefcase you see the, you see the suit right you know i get paid pretty well to do this why do you think you saying we'll go to court is scary in any way to me why do you think i'm scared about that They're like we'll go to court uh, do you have a judge we can go to court right now like, like let's go like right down how not there. to uh how not to intimidate a good lawyer right but, yeah and that's the problem and that's another reason i'll take you to court sir I'll you take know, you to court. know what that means? It reminds me of sometimes when you see professional fighters and they're talking trash to each other, and one of them is like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a beating," and the other, the other guy is like, 
we're going to fight in a cage in a few days. Remember? Like, that's what we do for a living. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm not here to fight, man. I don't, I don't want to get beat up. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> we got a great comment here. Brian Harper says, Rich, what do you see when you look at this ink blot? Rich, an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Let me ask you this. It could surely the caseworker who wanted to do the IQ test was not the same caseworker who said the person couldn't call their child an idiot, right? No, that was Couldn't not been... the same person. It was two different counties, as a matter of fact. That actually brings me to an interesting point, though. Do you see a variation from county to county? No, unfortunately not. Oh. I think the same issues arise between caseworkers no matter where the county is. And I will tell you, in several cases, after the caseworkers got to know me, I've had better relationships as cases gone on because they're like, well, we started off on the wrong foot. I'm like, well, you were being ridiculous. Now I think you're being mm. reasonable. It's Pretty simple, you know, and I think it's 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 like a, a, a Pavlov's dog kind of thing. You kind of got to like beat them. And then they're like, no, you're not getting away with that. I'm not that attorney. I know you used to dealing with those two who are in that room who just let you do whatever you want. You better come with a good reason. I want to well, do this because does not work with me. It doesn't. Well, it never will. I'm thinking in my head, though, of uh, counties, you know what they say about Pennsylvania with the T and the... <laughs> <laughs> who, who was it that originally said rich would know this because he's a political buff who originally said about oh you mean philadelphia pittsburgh in between alabama is that carville who said that that's james carville man love james carville, carville. i do right yeah. uh, so with that dramatic difference uh, between cultures ideologies political views things of that nature in different parts of pennsylvania you would think that you might get varying uh, recommendations or expectations uh, where it would be difficult for a family to predict what am I supposed to do in order to not have them on my back. Uh, for example, you'd think that maybe if there if there are coming out there and saying that if you don't do it this way, then you're doing it wrong. Well, their way might be different in Perry County than it is in Philadelphia. Do you ever see that where there's a, a certain situation, a circumstance, and one county thinks one way is the right way, another county thinks the other way is the right way. Neither one of them are necessarily correct. You might have families in each that are just doing the opposite of, of what that particular county thinks is the way to go. Yes. Certain expectations of certain counties are absolutely different depending on where you go. Um, and you've got to approach those situations differently. But again, I think universally the thought process is you got to do it my way or you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and it's totally subjective, so it's not really predictable. It's definitely subjective because you'll have different caseworkers on different cases want different things. Same mm. kind of situation. And, you know, those caseworkers are brought up, and I don't know if it's their training or not because I'm not involved in that, is like, you know, you got to get these parents to do what you need them to do. And that's not the way this works, and I'm not going to let you do that. Those are my clients. That's the family that I represent. My job is to keep that family together. That's what I'm here for. And I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you out of the middle of it, right? I'm going to keep you out of the middle of it because that is my job. And my job is to protect them from you. And they're like, we're there to help them. You think you're there to help them. And maybe you are, but I will make a judge of that. And you're going to have to earn it, right? Because I'm not letting you just say, I'm here to help you. I'm sure you believe that in your heart of hearts, but I don't believe you. I don't trust anybody. You know, that's why I'm such as good at my job as a defense attorney. I don't believe a word anybody says to me ever. So, you know, I'm suspicious of everything. And I'm certainly suspicious of you because as soon as you come in and tell my clients how to raise their kids and you have no idea who these people are, I have a serious problem with what you're doing just from the jump. You know, Rich, at this point in your career, you're the MVP of the CYS cases. You get calls from Philadelphia all the way out to Erie to deal with this stuff. Um, but how was it that you first started getting involved in CYS cases? 
you and I started our career at the same firm many, many moons right. ago. And uh, I understand you were not doing CYS cases over there when you first started because we were doing the same thing, essentially. Um, slightly different, me doing gun cases, you doing DUI slash right. other. Um, but uh, wh how did you get involved with CYS cases? Right. Well, we're at that same firm. I had slight involvement with it. Usually if there's a child mm. abuse allegation in CYS, I'd handle it kind of tandem. I really got mm. involved with it after I went to the firm before Mike, you and I joined up. Um, I had a, a, a couple of pretty serious cases. One that comes to mind that was very serious um, situation where my client's uh, child had a difficult situation. Um, she was taken to the hospital and my client and her husband questioned some of the decisions the doctors were making, um, asked appropriate questions, questions about why they were doing things, should they be doing things. Eventually, the doctors had to come in and said they were being, my clients were being disruptive, they were being difficult, they were not letting the doctors care for the child in the way they wanted to. And I also believe in that particular case, the particular um, views of that family rubbed the doctors the wrong way. They called CYS, um, CYS became involved the children, you know, they, they tried to move the child, the children were declared dependent. And it really showed me at that point that I could be very helpful. I think I was helpful in that case. It got drug out. It was a really knockdown and drag out fight. Um, we got the children and the family put back together eventually. But it just, it was the first instance where I had, yeah, I get it. They're asking some question that you can't ask questions to the doctor. Go, well, why can't you ask questions to the doctor? Because they're doctors. I'm like, well, I'm a doctor. People ask questions to me all the time. I don't understand what that means. Like, why can't you ask questions? The child was very sick, needed serious medical attention, but the parents want to know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? How's it going to help? Is there any alternatives? You know, they had certain views that may, you know, that maybe even I don't particularly respond to, but it's their right to have those views to help them help them the right way, whether it, whether it be religious in this case. They, they, were, they were quite religious you know, honest to honest to here is the policy. It's not my thing, but okay. And they have a right to do that. And, and it wasn't being disruptive. It's if asking questions, medical questions about decisions to be made for your daughter who's having a serious medical episode is a problem. We've lost at that point, right? Well, no point did they say, no, you're not allowed to do this life-saving surgery for my daughter. They just said, well, I think recovery probably, why don't we, I heard about this. What can you tell me about this? Well, that doesn't matter. Well, I read about it. Not saying you had to do this because my clients never said, I'm the doctor. You're going to do this, not this. I have more education than you. I read about this. Can we try this? No. And then, you know, and it went, it was a huge knockdown and drag out fight and it was a problem. And an interesting story from that litigation is I'm dealing with the solicitor from the agency, throwing out issues, doing, making sure, make it. So, you know, Mike understands litigation is like a chess match, right? I'm always doing things to, to maneuver and give my my case, the best chance to succeed. So we're, before a certain hearing, I go out in front of the solicitor, I, I put out the final piece, you know, move to queen, put you in check, so to speak, if you like to play chess. He goes, so wait a minute, I think everything you've done this week was to give yourself an advantage in litigation. I go, I look around, I went, well, well, yeah, what? I'm a lawyer, I'm trying, yes. What do you mean? Yes, that's, that's exactly what I did, yes, true statement. He was like, "That's that." I don't know if that's appropriate. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, "Where do you people go to law school?" I don't know. Try to lose. Like, I know I want to set myself up to lose. No, everything I did, everything I got you to agree to, was to give me an advantage into what I was about to bring up. 
You should have seen. If you're a better lawyer, your idea is to see what you're going to do and counter before I get there. But right. you know, it's just it's 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 a it's a huge problem in the area. Just the the attitude that a lot of them have that I'm right, you're wrong. The reason I'm here is because you're a terrible mother, you're a terrible father, and I need to tell you how to raise your kids. And I have just a, a serious, legitimate issue with that. That's all the time we got for today. Stick around for We the People, the Constitution Matters. Pastor David, Whitney, Professor Phil Duffy, and I'll be joining as your legal analyst. We miss you, Ellie. Daddy loves you.